We will be learning the second Sikha to Pamshmishpatim in Chilak Tazain. The text we're using is the Lashon Kedish translation of the Sikha, as it's provided by Project Lukta Sikhas. You can find it on the website. It's advisable to have open a Chumash, Chumash Rashi, in the beginning of Pamshmishpatim, um, to enable you to understand better the Sikha. So, the Sikha begins like this. Perushal Apostle Kisikne Begemer. Hetik Rashim in Akosov is Hatebis Kisikne Ebet Ivri. The beginning of the Pasha, Rashi quotes from the Apostle the words Kisikne Ebet Ivri. If you will buy, acquire an Ebet Ivri, Upirish and Rashi translates and explains Ebet Shu Ivri. An Ebet who is a Jew. The Ebet is a Jew. Or perhaps you might suggest or think that it's not talking about a Jewish slave, but a slave belonging to a Jew, which means an Ebed Knani Shalakachtim Yisrael, a Knani Ebed, which was acquired from a previous Jewish owner. And about this Ebed, Perhaps the Torah tells us that he should serve you only for six years. And Ash is going to explain why that can't be the Pshat. But before Ash explains why that can't be the Pshat, Rashi is clarifying a question that you might ask on this Pshat to begin with. There's a posuk later on in Chumash in Pashas Bahav where it says that when you have a Knani servant, a Knani Evid, you have to hold on to him and keep him as a slave forever. So how can we even think that here it might be talking about a Knani Evid that uh, the Torah says here that at, after six years he goes free. It says Rashi, we could have explained it as follows, that the oisom, that you have to keep the slave forever, you might have thought that that applies only to an Evid Knani, which was acquired from a non-Jewish owner. But if you acquire a non-Jewish slave from a previous Jewish owner, then perhaps that is what this Pasuk is talking about in Pashim Shpatim. And this Ebed indeed would go out after six years. That's what we might have thought, says Rashi. So Rashi says that that can't be the Pshad. Talmud Laimar. Therefore it says in Pasuk, where it says later on in Chumash that if you will if, a, if a, a Jew will sell himself as a slave, so that is referring only to a Jewish slave, a, a Abed Ivri, who goes out after six years. But a non-Jewish slave, even if you acquired him from a Jewish owner, he is still a non-Jewish slave, and he will continue to be an avid also after six years. That is this Rashi. 
So we have to understand a few things. Aleph, first of all, what words of the Pasuk is Rashi addressing? Seemingly, the words Evet Ivri. That Rashi is clarifying Evet Ivri doesn't mean an Evet belonging to an Ivri, but rather Evet Ivri, the Evet is an Ivri. That is what this Rashi apparently is coming to address. If so, for what reason did Rashi quote from the Pasuk also the word Kisikne? Kisikne is not relevant in the Rashi. And we know that Rashi is very medayic whenever Rashi quotes certain words from the Pasuk in the Dibra Maschil, it is these words that Rashi is addressing. So here we have to understand Rashi should have, apparently, seemingly, quoted only the words Eved Ivri and not Kisikne. We can't say that the reason Rashi quotes the words Kisikne also is because these words add, they help, so to speak, the Pirush, Shakosu Kan Koe Ivri, that it helps clarify this, that it's a slave who is a Jew. And why would we think that the words kisikne would help that? Further on, in the same pasuk, there is a second Dibrahamaschil kisikne. After this Rashi, and you look inside the Chumish, you'll see that right after this first Rashi in Pasuk Beis comes another Rashi with the Dibra Maskel again, Kisikne, only Kisikne, not Kisikne Evadibri, like the first one. And here Rashi says, that it must be talking about a case where Bezdin sold a Jew as a slave. And that is only possible if we're talking about a Jewish slave. Bezdin is not selling non-Jews as slaves. Bezdin is only selling a Jew if a Jew stole and cannot pay back. So then Bezdin will sell him for a slave to make up for the Gneva that he stole. So if the Sikhne means that it's talking about a slave that was sold by Bezdin, then therefore it implies that Evid Ivri must be a Jewish slave and not a slave belonging to a Jew. So Rashi is quoting in the Dibra Maskel Kisikne as well, because Kisikne also adds on as, as a sort of proof for the Pirush that Rashi explains that Evid Ivri means a Jewish slave. Says the Rebbe that we can suggest that. Why not? Sharei Aleph, Hechlech Zeshel Rashi, Shakos Medabe Bemokru Bezdin. The proof of Rashi in the next Rashi that we're talking about a slave that was sold by Bezdin, ain't a Matevis Kisikne. Rashi is not proving it from the words Kisikne. Elomitzad Yitura de Kro. Rather, Rashi is proving it from the Pos, the pasuk being extra, 
מאח אשר כבר נאמר וכי יום מוכרחי חוטאים מוכוונים קלו יצא עם פרשת בהאט that if your brother will fall on hard times and will sell himself as a slave so then that type of Jewish slave is already discussed in the, in the title of a deer so then what is it talking about over here says Rashi that's why here we must say it's talking about a case for Bezden sold it so the proof is not from the fact that it says Jeki Sikhna. The proof is from the fact that in Pasha's Behad, it already talks about the other type of Jewish slave that sells himself as a slave. So therefore, why would Kisikna in the first Rashi help in the understanding that Evan Ivri means a Jewish slave? Bez Adarab. Even this proof that how do we know that it's talking about a case that best insults someone because there is already a pasuk in Pasha's Behar later on in Chumash that's talking about someone selling himself as a slave. The whole proof is from the very fact that we have already established that this Pasuk in Pasha Mishpatim is talking about a Jewish slave. But if it could be a, a non-Jewish slave, so then there's no question. In Pasha's Bahad, it's talking about a Jewish slave. And here it's talking about a non-Jewish slave. But once Rashi has already established in the first Rashi that Evet Ivri means a Jewish slave, then comes the second Rashi on this Pasuk where Rashi is addressing what type of Jewish slave, because in Pashas Bahari, it's talking about a Jewish slave who sells himself as a slave, says Rashi. Apparently here it's talking about not a guy selling himself, but when Bezim sells him. So the entire proof is only possible once we already have established that we're talking about a Jewish slave. And this understanding is also obvious when you look in the order how Rashi presents these two perushim here in this pasuk. First Rashi explains Evet Ivri that it means a Jewish slave. And then the next Rashi, he's talking about the Yitur, the Kroh, that we already have a Pasuk about the Jewish slave later on in Pasha's Behar. So over there it's talking about a Jewish slave who sells himself. And Rashi makes a point that here it's talking about one that was sold by Bezdin. So the order is that first we already know that we're talking about a Jewish slave. So we can't say that Rashi is bringing the words Kisikna in the Dibra Maschil because Kisikna proves that it's a Jewish slave. No, Kisikna proves that it's talking about a slave who was sold by Bezdin, and we only know that after we already have established that we're talking about a Jewish slave. So we are back to the original question here. Why does Rashi quote from the Pasuk also the word Kisikne and not just the words Eved Ivri? Beis, Lomotal al-Datenu mi-Kodes Vodokazu 
שפירוש עבד עברי הוא עבדה של עברי. ג'נרל קווישן. Why would we בכלל think along those lines that it's talking about a slave, a non-Jewish slave, belonging to an עברי? Why would we think that? That is not the straightforward understanding in the Lashon of Torah. It's much simpler to say Evet Ivri means a Jewish slave. We find this numerous places in Chumash. For example, Gabinar Ivri, the Koal Yosef. It says that the Saramash and Saraoifim that were in the pit in the, in the jail together with Yosef and then Saramashkin was freed and Paray had his dreams and then he d- tells Paray that in jail we had with us a Jewish boy so he calls him Nar Ivri doesn't mean Nar Shel Ivri Nar Ivri a Jewish Nar so we see that the Ivri term is a description of the word beforehand. Vegam benach, also in Divrei Hayomim, it says, Ule Shushan Eved Mitzri, that Shushan had a Mitzri slave. Sheperushi, Sheperushi Eved, Shehu Mitzri. Over there also it means a slave who was an Egyptian. Not an Eved of a Mitzri, we're talking about an Eved of Shushan. So, again, we see that the term Mitzri is describing what type of heaven? And also, we have proof from Chumish and from Tanakh in the other way. That when we want to describe Evid Shel Ivri, that it, he is an Evid of someone who is an Ivri, the Torah doesn't just use Evid Ivri. Tanakh doesn't use that term. Rather, the Tanakh will describe it more accurately. There's a pasuk in Shmuel Aleph. Eved le'ish amoleki, a slave to ish amoleki to an amoleki man. So if Eved Ivri would mean an Eved belonging to an Ivri, then he would have had to say Eved shall ish Ivri, or Eved shall Ivri. Shekashekavonus a pasuk ne'la'avde shel amoleki in the Omer. That when the Pasuk wants to say an Evid of an Amaleki, it doesn't say Evid Amaleki, rather it says Evid Leish Amaleki. So why would Rashi feel the need to clarify that Evid even means a Jewish slave and not a slave that belongs to a Jew? Why would we think that, Bechlau? It doesn't make sense that we should think that. In Chumash, in Tanakh, that's not the style of how uh, Eved Shel Ivri would be called. Now, this question is a question that the Mefoshim already grappled with. Some Mefoshim write that the reason why we might have thought so, that it's talking about an Eved that belongs to a Jew, but it's a non-Jewish person. When you look in the past, what does it say? If you will acquire a slave 
Ivri. Meaning, you're acquiring him, he's already a slave. It sounds like the one being acquired already had the Evid status before he was being acquired over here as a slave. That is why we might have thought that Evid Ivri means a slave belonging to an Evid, to an Ivri. That is what some Farsham explained. What would have been the Havamina? Why would we think so? Just because the Torah calls him an Evid, you acquire an Evid, meaning he's already an Evid from beforehand. The Rebbe is not satisfied with that. This is not good enough of uh, an explanation. If that is Rashi's understanding, then Rashi had to start off with that wrong pirush and then negate it. Like this, what he writes later on, he should have started off with that. Perhaps you might think that what it says here in Pasuk Evid Ivri means an Evid, non-Jewish Evid, belonging to an Ivri, for example, that's how Rashi would have had to start his pirush. And then negate it. No, it can't be that. And then bring the proof that no, it means an Evid that who is a Jewish person. But Rashi doesn't do that. The way Rashi starts off, Rashi just puts it down. We're talking about an Evid who is a Jew. Muchach, that style of writing, proves that is the first simple reading of the Pasuk. Evid, Ivri means an Evid who he is an Ivri. And then only after he already had put that down as a simple pshat in Pasuk, he then comes with this other svarek. Perhaps you might think otherwise. Maybe you might think that's talking about a non-Jewish Evid belonging to a Jew. So Rashi is negating it. But that is not that that would have been our initial understanding. So what the Mefarshim explained that Rashi needs to negate it is because we might have thought that the word Evid implies that he's already an Evid from beforehand, and therefore we're talking about a non-Jewish Evid, the way Rashi presents over here this entire Pirush does not imply that. It seems from Rashi that the first and simple reading in the Chumash is indeed what the Pshat is, that it's a Jewish Evid, and that is some other reason why Rashi needs to negate the thought that perhaps it's talking about a non-Jewish slave. And then the question is, why would we think that? So back to our original question over here, why would we think that? Why does Rashi have to negate that if that is not the way the Chumash or the Tanakh usually describes such a, uh, an Evid or such a situation? Gimel, another question. 
Rashi brings in over here that Rashi had said that we're talking about a Jewish habit. And now, why can't we say that it's a non-Jewish habit? So Rashi says, first of all, how can I even suggest that? Isn't there a chiyuv in parashas that you have to use the slave forever? A non-Jewish slave. The, this pasuk, the Ben Chomish Lamikra hasn't learned that yet. This is in Pashas Behar, which is almost at the end of Sefer Vayikra. Pashas Mishpatim is beforehand in Chomish. We know that Rashi always will address contradictions when the contradiction comes up. Not in the first place. In the first place, the Ben-Chom Shlomikra hadn't learned that yet. So if Rashi wants to negate the Svarah, that here it's talking about a non-Jewish slave, and he brings proof that it says in Pasuk, and Ivri means a Jew. So Rashi could have just said that, and the Ben Shalomikra wouldn't be bothered. How can you even say that it says in Pashas, he didn't learn that yet. He doesn't know about that. So he wouldn't be bothered by that. So if that would be a contradiction, that contradiction would only come up in Pashat Bahad. So Rashi would have to address it over there, but not over here. But nevertheless, we see that Rashi already brings it in over here. Now over there, Rashi doesn't have to address it because there is no contradiction. Because we know now that here it's talking about a Jewish slave, not a non-Jewish slave. But when Rashi wants to say, perhaps here it's talking about a non-Jewish slave, Rashi has no need to clarify how he can even suggest that, and it won't be a contradiction to what it says in Parsh Bahar. Parsh Bahar is coming to almost at the end of Sefer Vayikra. The Alpha Pisha Mokir called Ibra Rashi Bepirushe, who Mamechilto. You can say, look, Rashi took this entire Pirush from the Mechilto, and uh, this is what it says in the Mechilto. So the Rebbe has established already numerous times whatever Rashi brings in his Pirush on the Torah is found and proven from within the Psukim Al-Asar in the place where Rashi explains it. Or in combination with something that was already learned in Chumash earlier on. But not other things. So the fact that the Mechilta brings it doesn't mean that Rashi has to bring it. If Rashi brings it, that means here in this Pasuk, there is something that compels Rashi to write it. Especially Rashi is not telling us that this is coming from the Mechilta. Now we know 
that in the Mechilta you can find this, but Rashi sometimes writes, Rashi will cite the source, but usually he doesn't. And when he doesn't, that means that this is not just a quote from the Mechilta, rather Rashi finds whatever the Mechilta says, but Rashi finds that in the Psukim themselves. So the question is, here in the Pasuk, where does this question of Mani Mekayim is Nachaltem Oysom come up from? So everything that Rashi says must somehow fit with the Pshat, Pashat Pshat in Chumash over here. The Abir was, uh, so the Rebbe explains it, is sometimes, you know, we, we, we look at a Pasuk and see a whole Pasuk and we, we get into the details and the definition of the words on the Pasuk and we forget the context and the bigger picture. So the Rebbe is looking at the whole bigger picture over here. Because of La'el Mesupar, earlier in Chumash, we find already in Pasha's boy, the Eden left Mitzrayim with a huge amount of gold and silver. And then, by Kriyas Yamsuf, Bizas Hayam, they got even more gold and silver. Rashi in Pashat B'Shalach tells us that Moshe had to force the Yidin away from the Yamsuf, Lachatriyas Yamsuf. He had to force them away. He had to make them travel against their will. Why? The Mitzrim beautified their chariots and their horses with gold and silver and precious stones. They, they, they beautified their horses with, with those uh, special metal, uh, you know, precious metals. And the Eden after Kriyas Yamsu, they found all this gold and silver by the Yamsu. To such an extent that what they got from the Yamsu was even more than what they took out of Mitzrayim originally. Every single Jew saw individually the fulfillment of the promise that Hashem gave to Abraham Avinu that the Yidin will leave Mitzrayim with Rechush Kalu. They were extremely rich. In this type of extreme richness, as of Israel by the Jewish people, it was impossible and in that time, that a Jew should become an Eved. How could somebody become an Eved? Only either because he's so poor and he has no money and he sees no other way out but to sell himself as a slave, or that he steals and then 
doesn't have money to be, pay back the Gneva, so Bezin has to sell him. But that wasn't possible. At that time in history, when Pashan Mishpatim was first taught, when Moshe bin taught Nesau Pashan Mishpatim, it wasn't possible to have an Evid Ivri. It didn't exist. When was this? Like Rashi says in the beginning of the Pasha, it was after Sinai. So this was the Hemshek to Martin Torah, right after Martin Torah. Martin Torah was just a couple of weeks, six weeks after Kriyas Yamsu. And seven weeks after leaving Mitzrayim. So, it's reasonable to assume that probably Akash will tell the Yidin the type of mitzvahs that are relevant to them at that time. Kagoin, how do we see that in the end of Pashas Yisroi? After Matan Torah, the Yidin had a major revelation of godliness. And they saw the Merkava, and they saw Malachim, and they saw everything. So then Hashem saw the need that right after Matan Torah, to tell them something. And that's in the end of Pashas Yisroi, even before Mishpatim. Kegoyim, for example, Don't make idols out of silver and out of gold. And also the Mizbeach at the end of Pashat Yisroi. Mizbach Adomo. Mizbach Avonim Tassili. You'll make for me a Mizbeach out of earth, out of stone. Which is again, the Yidin were so rich at the time, there was a concern. They might make some type of images out of gold and silver to reflect the malochim or uh, revelations of the Merkava that they saw at Matan Torah. So Hashem told them, and also, you're going to make a Mizbeach. Probably you are so rich, you're going to want to make it gold, silver. But I'm telling you, I want to make you, you to make a Mizbeach. Adom Avonim. Although they each had so much gold and silver, Hashem wanted this Mizbeach not to be made out of gold or silver. So we see that Akash Balchu considered the situation on the ground in what type of mitzvahs he's giving the Bnei Yisrael after Matan Torah. So he gives him then the mitzvah not to make Gives them the mitzvah of Mizbach Avonim Tassali, Mizbach Adomo. So when it comes to Pashim Mishpatim, if we follow this logic, so what kind of mitzvahs will Hashem give us? What kind of Mishpatim? Lechayro Mishpatim that are possible at that time. Lochein, therefore. Laach Hashik Dimrashi Ebetu Ivri. So we have the Pasuk say, you'll buy an Evid Ivri. So Rashi right away says, Evid Ivri. 
the pirush, the simple understanding of the word Evet Ivri, of course means an Evet who is an Ivri. Like the Rebbe brought all the proof, Nar Ivri, Lashushan Evet Mitzri, and if it would mean the other thing, then it wouldn't, the Torah wouldn't use that term, rather it would say Evet Laish Ivri. So yeah, Rashi puts it down right away, in the beginning of the Rashi, Evet Shu Ivri. It means an Evet who is a Jew. That that's the simple understanding of what this means. Nevertheless, once Rashi had put that down, Rashi still needs to address another issue. Then Rashi says, but you know what? I understand that you might think that that's not possible. An Ebed who is an Ivri at that time? Impossible. So that might give you the idea that perhaps here Ebed Ivri means something else. An Ebed, non-Jewish Ebed, Shell Ivri. Perhaps you might think that due not from the Pshata Pasuk, from the wording it doesn't really fit so well. But you might still think that here there might be an exception. And the reason you might think that is because it's not Shaykh at that time, a Jewish slave. How could it be? Everybody had gold and silver. Considering the bigger picture, you might think that this must be talking about a non-Jewish Evid belonging to a Jew that is being sold from one Jew to another Jew. Because every Jew had a lot of Rechush. The need to negate that pshat. Elo shal kach echel alis eira letzel ben chomish lamikra hashaylo. The rabbi still has a few open questions in the beginning of the sicha, and one of the questions was, even if Rashi wants to negate this. Wrong pshat. He feels he has to negate it. So Rashi could have brought up the idea. Maybe you might think it's talking about a non-Jewish slave that belonged to a Jew and is being sold to another Jew. So Rashi can have right away brought the proof that that is not so because it says and only a Jewish slave goes out by six years, and that's it. Why did Rashi have to bring into this discussion, and how could we even think so, 
isn't there a mitzvah that you have to use the slave forever? And we had asked, why does Rashi even need to bring that up? That's only later in Parashat Bahad when Choshlamikra doesn't even know about this yet. So the Rebbe is going to explain that with a Ge'enish Echap over here. It's the Ben Chomish Lamikra has already faced, not the Potsdam Ba'ashas Bahar, that he doesn't know yet. But he knows about the Ovis. He had learned in Chumash about the Ovis. And he knows that the Ovis had non Jewish slaves. In particular, we know about Eliezer Evid Abram, who certainly was an Evid for many, many years, way more than six years. Let's read that inside. The Mecham Shlom Mikra could come up with a simple question. We have already learned about Eliezer. He was already in Avram's Rishus before the Bris Ben Absorim. When Evid Avram Gamma serious Bishonim shall Brisbane Absorim was before the birth of Yitzchak. Decades later, Eliezer was still the servant of Avram. Came super because of Advashlichusel Shadachas Yitzchak Avinu. Avram sent him to find the Shidduch for Yitzchak. At the time, Yitzchak was 40 years old. That means he was a an Evet for way more than six years. Him came kosher. Kivin Shabram of Inukim's Kolatero Kulachle Nitno, considering that Abram kept the entire Tero before it was given. Kifishikva Pish Rashil Il. This is not some Medrish. Rashi already brought this on Chumish a few times, meaning the Benham Mikro knows this as Shutish Mikro. The Ovis kept the Tero. Ketzati Tochen, Shabram Herzig, the Evet Knani Eliezer. How could it be that Avram kept a non-Jewish slave for so many years? <clears throat> if we can entertain the idea that perhaps this possible compassion Mishpatim is talking about a non-Jewish Evid, which it doesn't, but even, how can we even entertain that thought process? That's what the question the Bechamesh is going to have. How can you suggest that? That the Pasuk here, which is followed with the mitzvah, that this Pasuk base, uh, that if you have an Evid and after six years he goes free, if that it would be talking about a non-Jewish slave, how did Avram keep Eliezer for so many years? How come he didn't keep this mitzvah? If it means an Evid belonging to an Ivri. Avram was an Ivri. He had a non-Jewish slave. So Rashi is going to address this question of the Benchamesh Lemikra. But Rashi is going to make this question even better. Rashi is not asking the question like that because perhaps there is some reason why Avram kept Eliezer. After all, while Avram kept the entire Torah, 
but it was still before Matan Torah. And perhaps we can have some explanation why Eliezer is, is an exception to the rule. Somehow we can answer that. So Rashi doesn't want to just ignore that question. Rashi wants to say, you know what? This question that the Ben Chomish might come up with, Rashi is going to show the Ben Chomish how this question is really even a stronger question. This is what compels Rashi to bring in, in our Pasha, the Pasuk from Pasha's Behar, but instead of bringing up the wonder about the behavior of Avram, he brings the same contradiction, but with an even stronger argument. Not just how does it fit with Avram's behavior, which might have some other explanation. No, the Rashi tells us what Avram did actually is in line with what the Torah clearly commands. The positive says clearly that when you have an Andrew slave, you have to keep him forever and you have to it should be an inheritance for your children. So that's the mitzvah. So Rashi is basically telling the Ben Mikro, don't only ask based on the behavior of Avram, which might have some explanation perhaps or not. I'm going to actually teach you something that you haven't learned yet. In Pashas Baha'u, the Torah actually commands us to keep the non-Jewish slave forever. So therefore, the question, how can I even suggest that here the Pasuk might mean a non-Jewish slave belonging to a Jew, how does that fit? Therefore, Rashi must explain it, that we might say that over there, the Pasuk, that you have to keep the slave forever, is talking about a slave that was acquired from a non-Jewish owner. But here, if we would go with the, with the Svara, that it's talking about a non-Jewish slave, would be talking about a non-Jewish slave that is acquired from a previous Jewish owner. And that is different, and that one is only for six years. And therefore, Rashi needs to negate. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about an Eved Ivri. Shekein Hoyagam by Eliezer Davram, it was obviously uh, an Evid acquired from a non-Jew. So that's why Avram kept him forever. We can now also appreciate why Rashi needs to quote from the Pasuk not just the words Eved Ivri, but also Ivri, Because these words actually give added strength to the Pirush. How so? Seemingly, why does the Pasuk, forget about Rashi quoting Kisikna, we can really ask on the Pasuk itself, why does the Pasuk have to write Kisikna Evadivri? The words Kisikna are extra. 
The potato could have started straight away with the actual halacha. A Jewish slave should serve for six years. If you're going to acquire an Eved Ivri, he should serve you for six years. It doesn't have to say if you'll acquire. Could you just go straight to the point? As we find many times, Aldel Pasha saying, even in this week's Pasha, somebody hits another and kills him. It doesn't give us a backstory that they fought and then he hit him. Sometimes we have that, but there's a reason for it. Why does it have to say kisikne altogether? Haloshen kisikne al kulo beosi. The word kisikne is in the future tense, and it's talking about something that is in the future. Kasha bahoyve adain em kulo In the present, this action does not exist yet. Vieseirum izubinyoneinu and in our situation, not only is this something in the future and not now, it's something that now would not really be possible. Like we discussed before, at present, when this mitzvah was given, it wasn't even like we said before, they had so much money, it was unfathomable that a Jew should end up being a slave. So the Torah says, Kisikne, using the future tense, here not only Stam talking about something in the future, because here it has to be something in the future, because right now it's not possible. So that automatically implies that we're talking about an average Ivri. Something which wasn't possible at the time. And it can't be talking about an Evet Knani. If it would be talking about a non-Jewish slave, well, that is something that they already had that. And it was a possibility at the time to have non-Jewish slaves. So therefore, the Torah wouldn't have had to write Kisikne. If it would be talking about a non-Jewish slave, the Torah could have right away written Evet Ivri, if it would mean an Evet often Ivri, a non-Jewish Evet, Cheshon and Yavit for six days. There's no need to bring in the words Kisikne. The only reason why the Torah writes Kisikne, because we're talking about something which at the time wasn't possible and was only going to be possible many years later. So therefore, the Torah writes Kisikne. Vila Moisur. If it would be talking about a non-Jewish slave, it would be extra. Due to their immense um, affluence and Hashirus, uh, they certainly had non-Jewish slaves. Certainly, we cannot say that that was something that wasn't common at the time. So this explains the Rashi so far. However, if we explain it this way, then we are faced with a strange situation. 
the Torah is starting off Pashas Mishpatim with a mitzvah that wasn't really relevant at the time. So the question is then, then why start with such a mitzvah? That's if hey, Omnam al Pizayna Mubin, Madua Be'em is Posachakos with Dina Mishpatim, take Lachman Torah, Bedin Evadim. So why indeed does the Torah start with that halacha? Something totally not uh, usual. Why not begin with something which is common and uh, commonplace? Especially considering there is, there is a, another halacha that really should be written before this halacha. How, how can we have an Eved Ibri in, in, in Pash Mishpotim? The Torah is talking about, as Rashi says in the second Rashi, about an individual, Shemachru Bezdi. Bezdin sold him. Why did Bezdin sell him? He stole. And he didn't have money to pay back. So, didn't have money? So Bezdin sold him as a slave. The din of a Ganev is that he has to pay back, not just pay back the, the thing itself, he has to pay back, um, depends what it is, uh, double or four times or five times, a shayr, a set, which is also in this week's Pasha. And he didn't have that money. Especially considering that this whole situation of Ivri has a history beforehand, an action of stealing. Depending on the details of the type of neva, he has to pay five times or four times or at least two times. And then if he doesn't have the ability to pay, then he's being sold. So let the Torah, and this is further on in our Pasha, you see in the footnote 32 with the star, in this week's Pasha, we have these halachas, somebody stole, he has to pay double, he has to pay five, four times, five times, depending on the details. So let the tale start first with those dinim, which are written later on in the Pasha, and then tell us. And if the guy doesn't have the ability to pay, then Bezdin will sell him as a slave, and then the dialogue of the Evid. So why doesn't the tale start like that? The Kivan Shazel, so, so this is a double question. First of all, why Bichlal start with the story of an Evid Ivri, which is something which at the time after Matan Torah was not really a commonplace situation. It was impossible. And even if you want to start with that, but you got to start it in order. First, write the din. What happens when somebody steals and needs to pay back? What does he have to pay back? And then say the subcategory, and if he doesn't have money to pay, then he has to be sold by a peasant, and then he should be a slave for six years. The Kivan says, 
Now, this question is not some uh, sophisticated question. It's a very basic question. Anybody learning Chumash thinks about this. Yeah, this is an obvious question. Now, we know the rule that Rashi himself took upon himself the job to address any question that comes up in the simple reading of the Chumash. And when it comes to this question, it doesn't seem like Rashi is addressing this. And not because there aren't answers. We find in in the footnote 34, he brings from Eben Ezra, Ramban, Ababanel, there are, and others, uh, numerous Mepharshim and Chumish who actually address this question. So their answers uh, might not be the same level of Pshut Shalmikra like Rashi, but the question is a simple question, and how come Rashi doesn't address it? And you can't say that according to Pshut Shalmikra, that's not a question. And you're going to say, why not? Why isn't this a question? You're going to tell me, because in Pshut Mikra, the order of the mitzvahs and which mitzvah comes before or after another, there is no necessarily a, an explanation and a reason or logic that we can understand. And, and that's why Chumash, oftentimes Rashi doesn't explain why is this mitzvah first, this mitzvah second. So the Rebbe says, you, can, you can't say that that's why Rashi doesn't have to address it. Why not? Because Shari Nois of Lad Goshat Rashi the Beresh Pasha Seinu Gufa. The Eilam Meisval Rishenim, Marishenim Sinai, Eilam Sinai, Velomo Nis Machavachulu. Rashi writes, right in the beginning, Pasuk Aleph of this week's Pasha, that this Pasha comes after Matan Torah. And why is this Pasha, Elam Ishpotim, after the end of Pasha's Yisra, where it's talking about the Mizbeach, because to teach us that the Dayanim, Bezin has to sit in Lishkas Agozis, near the Beis Amikdosh, near the Mizbeach. So we see, Rashi does actually address right here this Smichus, Especially Alpianal decides for this. He now Alpianal had an Indian session. This Mohammedus, Hamitzvah, Master Vision, Samitzan Bayom, who has swallowed that was how could die to Pirish Rashi, Shaina Kavon Sakos, Levadivi, We have just discussed that why is Rashi even bringing up the idea that Evid Ivri might mean an Evid that belongs to an Ivri, but who is a Goy? And the question was, why does Rashi even have to address this if it doesn't really make sense in the wording of Eved Ivri? So we have explained that the reason why Rashi needs to explain it is because we will have a question. How is there Bichlal and Eved Ivri at that time? And that might have caused us to think that it's talking about a non-Jewish Eved who belongs to an Ivri. So in other words, Rashi is taking that factor into consideration. If he's taking that into consideration, then he should also take into consideration to explain to us, so why indeed does the third attack start with that 
situation, which is not really possible at the time. And if yet, then it should be brought in order. And also, that's addressing the other point, that you cannot have a situation of Kisik Nevet Ivri without first having the halacha of Nimkar that if an individual stole and he can't pay, then he has to be sold. So the Torah had to first bring the general mitzvahs that are connected to this. So although it here in this pasuk it doesn't look like Rashi directly addresses the answer to this question, but looking further in the psukim here about the Evet Ivri, Rashi is actually answering this because Rashi brings that if the Ebed says that he wants to continue being an Ebed after the six years, they pierce his ear. His ear. So Rashi says, why the ear? Mikol from out of all the other body parts. Says that the ear who heard that don't steal and nevertheless went and stole should be pierced. And if it's talking about the other type of Jewish Ebed, where the person sells himself as a slave, so over there also, the ear who heard, which heard that mountain Taylor, the Hashem says that you are servants to me, to Hashem, but this individual went, and acquired a master for himself, that ear should be pierced. The explanation how that addresses the question is like this. In general, all over Torah, whenever there's a reward for a mitzvah mentioned, the Torah does not stress where the connection is between the schar, the reward, and the mitzvah itself. The dogma, for example, last week's Pash. In the Mitzvah Adibris, the Mitzvah's Kibbut Avoim, Sheshchara Hu Laman Yarichun Yomech Ovegeim. The reward is long life. Harinus Aflakach Enas Chal Nikat Take of Lachakim Mitzvah. Besides, for the point that the reward is not recognizable immediately after doing the Mitzvah. Elorak Lacharichus Man Rab. Only years later, when the person eventually lives a long life. That's when the reward comes about. Besides for that, in the the reward by definition doesn't tell us anything about how is the long life connected to kibudav. Why is the schar for kibudav oim long life? Similarly, when it comes to punishment. We don't see where is there a connection between the punishment of Malkus or Kodes to the specific Avedis for whom one gets these punishments. When it comes to the Nevi Ivri, 
We see that the Torah does make that link and the reason for the punishment. Where the Torah says that you have to pierce the ear after. And the reason being, as Rashi explains, simply in Chumash, that this is because the ear heard by Matan Torah something, either or and the ear heard it, but didn't internalize it and didn't follow through with what it heard. In Yiddish, they say, He heard it, but he didn't follow through with it. So therefore, the ear gets punished and is being pierced. Although that the timing when the piercing happens isn't when the person did the things, either stealing or selling himself as a slave. The piercing happens six years later when the person says, I don't want to continue being an avid. Says the Rebbe, Mikol Mokim, nevertheless, ain't the oynish al sha'oymer or hafti v'gamer. The punishment why his ear is being pierced is not because he says, I love my master, I love my wife and children, and I want to continue being an avid. That's not why he's being punished. The punishment, the piercing punishment is given for him stealing. Or for the fact that he sold himself for a slave, although he is an Eved Hashem, what is he acquiring a different master over himself? That's why he's being punished. Thank you for which are things that happened originally when he became an Evadibri. Here in the Sikha, the Rebbe does not explain why, meaning if the punishment is for the original thing that the person did, either stealing or selling himself as a slave. So why is it only happening six years later? So elsewhere, the Rebbe explained about this more uh, at length, that the initial stealing or selling himself for a slave could have happened due to the person's circumstances in life at the time where he hit rock bottom, uh, he has no money, so he stole out of desperation. So we can perhaps have Rahmanas on him. So he's not being punished then. But if six years later, when he can go free, he decides, I want to continue being an Ebed. In other words, he doesn't see something wrong being in that state. So that then shows that when he originally stole and originally sold himself as a slave, it wasn't only an act of desperation, it was a a problem in his perception. He looked at things wrongly. He doesn't realize how wrong it is to steal, how wrong it is for a Jew to sell himself as a slave. 
So that is being revealed when six years later, he decides to continue being an Evid. So at that point, he's then being punished for the original point. So in any case, the main point that Rebbe wants to make over here, that the piercing of the ear comes as a punishment for the ear who heard at Matan something and didn't listen, didn't follow through with that. So that explains why this mitzvah was chosen as the first one that the Torah commands us right after Matan Torah. Because by Ebed Ivri Nire because by an Ebed Ivri in his punishment it is openly revealed and recognizable even in his physical body. The link between the Mishpot and the Har Sinai that the Mishpotim are a Hemshech and a link and a connection to Har Sinai is openly seen in the Verotza Oznoi. Now, we are now, based on the above, that what is a main chidush in the dinim of Ebed Ivri is the very fact that he did not listen to a command of Har Sinai. The point that he didn't have money and therefore he was sold. That's already a side point. In this context, that's a side point. We had asked, shouldn't the Torah first write the halachas, what happens of a ganav? And then he should say that if he doesn't have money, then he's being sold. And then he has the din of an avidivri. That's not the reason why he's being sold as an avidivri. It is because the ear didn't listen properly to Hasinai. And that's why right after Pashas Yisrael, after Matan Torah, comes Mishpatim, Ebed Ivri. That is the first Mishpat. And because of that, the Torah puts the Din of Ebed Ivri in close proximity to Elo Misinai. And where is that alluded to? Where is it hinted? In the punishment of Rotsa Ozmei. And based on this, there is now an additional explanation that we can appreciate from this. If it would have been, a commonplace scenario that a person has an evidently after Matan Teira. Then we might have thought, If that would have been a commonplace thing that people had evidently situations right after Matan Teira, then we would have said, you know why this is the first halacha? Because it's a common thing. It was relevant. They had to know it. 
But because at that time in history, the whole idea of an Avid Ivri was only something which will really only come to be relevant in later times. And it was an unusual thing. That fact in itself compels us to say that what is the reason why this is chosen as the first din? Because there must be something unique about Ebed Ivri. And what is that unique thing? As we discussed. So that very fact tells us to look for why is then that the mitzvah? If it wasn't a commonplace thing, so then there must be something else going on. And we appreciate that the connection is the link to Hasinai, the direct open link between this Mishpat and that which happened at Hasinai. Now, when we look at this entire situation from the inner dimension perspective, from Pnimius Atero, it will be even more gishmak, more sweet. In general, the purpose of Matan Teira is to affect a refinement of the world at large through Teira Mitzvahs. The obvious did Teira Mitzvahs to be formatted in Teira. However, their Teira Mitzvahs did not affect a change in the physical world. So therefore, when the Teira now wants to choose what should be the first Mishpat to be presented after Matan Teira, it should be such a mishpat where it is openly revealed how it affects the Gashmistiger world. And in that context, Evid Ivri is the most fitting. Why? In Chsidis, my Marim of the Middle Rebbe and the Tzemach Tzedek, we find how the different types of servants, the non-Jewish slave, Ebed Knani, the Jewish slave, Ebed Ivri, and the Jewish maidservant, Omo Ivriya, symbolize three levels of Avedas Hashem. And He's going on to briefly explain those three levels, and then we understand why the Evid Ivri really is very fitting to be the first one after Matan Torah. Evid Knani, who who is an Evid Knani type of Evid Hashem, the one whose Nefesh Abahamis is still in its full strength and power. Avdabev Kero Nichalei. Term the Gemara in Gitten uses that term, 
The Eved wants Hefkerus. He's comfortable with Hefkerus. He wants to live his life without any accountability. He wants to be scot-free. Eved Knani, Avdu Befkerun Michalei. Just what? He has no choice. He happens to be an Eved. He has to do what the master tells him. But what he wants, Hefkerus. So he's drawn downwards towards the Tivus of this world. But he forces himself. Do bad, do good, because he has that yoke. He's an avid. He's afraid of the master. Whatever it is, he does what he needs to do. Without the nihilism, the avid ivri is already a higher level type of avid. Explain me iris hamidis the nefshalikis betoich nefshamahamis. The avid ivri type is a yid. Who, whose nefeshali kiss influences his nefeshah Bahamis. The midas, the emotions, avas Hashem, yiras Hashem, of the nefeshali kiss shines, illuminates the nefeshah Bahamis too. Achigam etzla nefeshah Bahamis, yesh no chukul Hashem. The nefeshah Bahamis itself starts having a desire and is drawn but the Nefesh Bahamis was not yet transformed to Gdusha. That he should not have any more desires for the physical world. Like a slave who brings to the house all types of foods and drinks for the needs of the of the people in the house. But the food items that he brings are raw material, raw food. If it's wheat or other foods that still need to be processed. They're not yet fitting for human consumption. Why? They were not cooked yet. In other words, they did not yet get changed from their original form. So the Nefesh Bahamis of the Evid Ivri type of Yid is one who has not yet been fully transformed. Yes, the Midas of the Nefesh Kis already started to affect the Nefesh Bahamis. The Nefesh Bahamis is starting to have some desire for something more spiritual, yet at the same time, the Nefshabamis is not yet transformed. The Nefshabamis still has tithes for Elam Hazar. The Oma Ivriya is already one whose tithes and Midas of Nefshabamis have really been transformed. To such a degree, that the only desire the Nefshah Bahamis now has is godliness. 
ובזה יובנתם שהזכולס המשפוטים ולאחר מאנטדוס, ונאו הוא יכול להפרישיית why the beginning of the mishpatim after Matan Torah, ha-mevatim is ha-peula de Matan Torah bo'elam, which is meant to symbolize and express the peula of what Matan Torah does to the world. Hibedine evedivri, starts off the Torah with the dinim of evedivri. Because the Evet Ivri Avoidah is really what the Avoidah of Yid after Matan Torah in the world is meant to do, which is Lifel Benefsha Bahami, so Binyono Elam Bichlau, Shishtanu, to affect the Nefsha Bahamis and the world at large to change. The Consul Yishus Abdusha, they should enter the realm of Dusha. But the Avid Knani is not mentioned here. Because the Avid of the Avid Knani, there is no change in the Midas of the Nefesh Abahamis of the Avid Knani. He wants of Kedus, we said. He does what he has to under force. He has no choice. But there's no effect on the person, on the Nefesh Abahamis. On the Chalka Ba'elam, there is no Pe'ula of Ma'antir. And the whole point of Ma'antir is not that something should be superimposed on the world, but the world is not part of it. The whole point is to affect the world. So the Abed of the Abed Knani, there is no change, not in his Midas, while that's the Chalka Ba'elam, and also not in the world at large. Dafke Abed Ivri, that is the Abed where the Nefshabah Elikis is starting to affect the Nefshabah Amis. And starting the process to transform it. That's why we start with Evid Ivri. Coming from Matan Torah, what, what is Matan Torah all about? Go now and affect the Nefshah Bahamis and Chalka Ba'ilam. And that's why the Torah starts with Evid Ivri. And once you do that, Aveda, you can then mature, graduate, and come to the next level of Aveda. Hemshech Aveda. The person then gets elevated to Aved of Omoivriya, in which he truly, fully transforms the Nefsha Bahamis and the world, that they should really become a dear of Akadish Borhu, where Akash Borhu really is at home and Ainaid Milvade. But that's the next Hemshech of the Pasha, the Dinim of Omoivriya. So we start with Evadivri, which is the pool of Matan Torah, and we then graduate towards the Hemshech of the Pasha that talks about Omo Ibriyah.